0: Good morning. my Name's Tim. Had a bad leg, a crutch. God bless us, everyone. Yes. yes, yes, yes. yes. Uh, so I had, uh, it was a week ago, Friday. That I had uh, surgery on my ankle. Get this right here. We had a surgery on my ankle, and uh, I didn't like. I wasn't. It wasn't that I was dancing with my kids and <laughs> hurt myself or something like that. It's uh, just wear and tear. It's the 100,000 mile tune-up that I got on the ankle. They said they make me faster, so uh, we'll see. Um, and but so like two weeks ago, I was I was. I had been planning to speak last Sunday right after the surgery, and so the week leading up to it, I was talking to some of my friends, some of the other pastors, and you know said, you know, I'm thinking I'll just do it. it'll be two days afterwards. Bobby, okay, I'll sit in a chair or something like that. And and some of the folks said, uh, no, you're you don't want to speak right after you have your surgery. Uh, you, you just want to rest, take it easy. And then a few people said, are you going to be on heavy painkillers? I think you should do it. So, <laughs> thank you to my friends who counseled me wisely, and uh, I didn't, you know, last week. So I, I just rested last week, and and we had we were led in a a time of community sharing, and I did get to come and just be and just worship and be here, and I was encouraged. You know, I, I, those times of community sharing, I think one of the things that reminds me of is that Hillcrest. Uh, fundamentally is not uh, primarily an organization and it's not primarily a a 501c3 it's not a building Hillcrest isn't an event Uh, Hillcrest uh, fundamentally is a, a community of people it's a community of people journeying together after the god they love and just hearing you know last week getting to hear about how different men and women have walked with jesus how they've embodied uh this faithful walk with jesus in times that are uh, uh joyful in times that are very painful but hearing what it looks like in real life and i know it was it was a beautiful morning encouraging to me and so and i, I think a good reminder of, that we are we're a community together uh walking after jesus this morning we're going to we're going to continue in our series. We've been going through uh first and second Kings and this teaching series called Prophets and Kings. And we're going to continue that today. And so I'd like to invite you, we're going to start this morning in 2 Kings chapter 17. So 2 Kings, it's right before 1 Chronicles, maybe a third of the way into the Bible. And what we're going to be uh, what we're going to be reading is, uh, we've talked about how in, in the, the story of the people of God, ancient Israel, that there had been a civil war in the nation. The nation had split into the north and the south. And the, uh, the northern kingdom in 722 BC, this, this major empire of the day came in. Assyria is the name of the empire. They came in, they conquer the northern kingdom, and they take the people into exile. And in chapter 17 of 2 Kings, the author is reflecting on why this took place and is saying that uh, apart from the politics, really the driving reason had to do with the, the northern kingdom's relationship with God, that that is why God allowed this to take place. And, uh, and it's saying that, the, that these are the different reasons that God allowed this exile, this conquering the kingdom, to take place. And I want to read one particular line out of here that I think is quite profound. It's 2 Kings 17, verse 15. And it says this. They followed worthless idols and themselves became worthless. This is a... Uh, profound spiritual truth that pops up over and over again in Scripture. This idea that we become like what we worship. And the, the Hebrew there, it's actually... Uh, the, the eight English words are translating four Hebrew words. To get the translation, we kind of have to expand it out. But there's four Hebrew words that are behind that. And uh, the four words, the first Hebrew word um, is a verb. It's like to go. So They went is the first word. The second word is after. So they went after. And then the third and fourth word is the same root word, Hevel, repeated twice. They went after Hevel and became Hevel. They went after Hevel and were Hevelized. Hevel, this this root word in, in Hebrew, it, it means uh, something like worthless or empty or vacuous. It... Um, Sometimes it's used to describe uh, vapor, or breath, or smoke. It's weightless, it's fleeting, it's here one moment and gone the next. Hevel. And because of this, oftentimes in scripture, uh, the word hevel is used to describe false false Gods, fake gods, empty gods, idols. This word Hevel is used to describe idols. And so what is being said here is they went after Hevel and became Hevel. It's the spiritual truth over and over again. It pops up in Scripture that human beings, anywhere, anytime, are becoming like what they worship. And when I say what they worship, I don't mean, I don't mean just what, they, what their organized religion is about, what they bow down to and what they sing about. What I mean is, in, in a deeper sense, whatever we make our central love, the, the center that our life pivots around, the most important thing in our life, that we will become like that. We become like what we most love. Everyone everywhere and so early i know early in my life uh it was competitive soccer that was what i most loved it was at the center of my life and i looking back now i see how by making it my highest love i became more and more comparison based and so when i looked out in the world i looked at other men and women i evaluated them on are they winners or are they losers We become like what we most love. If you most love money, you will become as cold and hard as the money you worship. If you worship pleasure, you will become as empty and fleeting as the pleasure you worship. If you worship control, you will become as possessive and power-hungry as the control you worship we become like what we most love if you worship the god who created all things in order to bless them who seeks out relationship with every man and woman who would give his very life that they might know him you will become like the god you worship and so the author of second kings here is reflecting is reflecting on why, what happened to this northern kingdom, and it's saying, it's saying they, they worshipped Hevel and became Hevel. Now, I want to flip back in our Bibles, and we're going to flip back to 1 Kings chapter 21. A couple weeks ago, Cameron preached on uh, he preached on the death of this this northern king, and that's just what we we're talking about, the northern kingdom. But this earlier northern king, King Ahab, and, and the end of his life, Cameron talked about that. I want to go back to a time a little earlier, but while Ahab was still alive, and what we're going to look at today is an account from Ahab's life where this spiritual truth we become like what we most love is it's it's lived out, it's embodied in Ahab's life, and we're going to look at this. As a, a living picture of what we're talking about, so first I want to just give some context about what the the account that we're going to read, we're going to hear. So what we're gonna we're gonna read takes place in a town called Jezreel. Jezreel, here's a we got a map. Jezreel is uh, it's up north in uh circled by that red circle there it's up in the jezreel valley uh it's just a little south uh, west of the sea of galilee this really lush great farmland back then and even today it's one of the most productive farm parts uh, of israel and here's a picture of it uh there's jezreel that 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 yellow arrow isn't there in real life that's uh i put that on there i'm an artist um so it's this—it's kind of on this hill beside this lush valley. And so Ahab and, and Jezebel, the king and queen of the northern kingdom, they had a palace there in Jezreel, really probably you know summer vacation home, something like that. And Ahab and Jezebel had this palace there. So and we're going to read about—we're going to read about a few different characters. One is Ahab and Jezebel, the king and queen who had a palace there. And the other person we're going to read about is a guy named Naboth. Um, And Naboth, I want to tell you a little about Naboth before we hear the story. Naboth, he's a a commoner, farmer. His family has lived in Jezreel for generations. And the the two main things I want you to know about Naboth is one, that Naboth loved. He worshipped the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The God who rescued his ancestors from slavery in Egypt. The God... Uh, the God who created all things, the God of the scriptures, that was Naboth's first love. That's who he was loyal to. We need to know that about Naboth. And secondly, we need to know something about how God related to his people. That, that in ancient Israel, God had explained to his people, God had said, all the land is mine. God said, you don't permanently own the land. God said, the land is mine. You are on the land as gardeners, as caretakers, as stewards. And so he said, what I'm going to do, I'm going to give each family a plot of land. And I want your family to caretake that plot of land generation after generation after generation. And he said, never, ever, ever sell your family land. And now maybe that sounds a little strange to us. And there's also we could talk. There's a whole other sermon about why that was and what God's saying through that. But we need to understand that was that was understood by Naboth and by the ancient people of God. You never ever sell your ancestral land. So that's Naboth. The other uh, the other characters we're going to run into is Ahab and Jezebel, the king and queen of the northern kingdom. Now, uh, for anybody, for those of us who've been reading First and Second Kings, if we've been here in past sermons, what would you say? Ahab and Jezebel, it, this is what they are most known for so far in 1 Kings. What is the defining This is what, when you think about Asa, Ahab and Jezebel, this is what we know about them. Somebody shout out an answer. Wicked? Yeah. And what specifically, how has that wickedness manifested itself in Ahab and Jezebel? What have they been promoting? Baal, that's right. This, this idol, this fake god, Baal, sometimes known as Baal they have promoted this worship of this fake god to the northern kingdom. So, uh, and I want... Now, this, when we read this story, the authors of First Kings, the spirit as it inspired this, is, is assuming that we know that Ahab and Jezebel are, are promoting Baal worship, and we know what that was about. And so, I want to explain a little bit, just what was Baal worship all about? Sometimes people call it Baal, Baal, same, same thing. So, Baal... So uh, I think we have a, we have a selfie of Baal. There he is. Um, It's very hard to do the stone carving selfie. Uh, So there's Baal. He's got his hammer raised. He's got this lightning bolt spear in his other hand. Baal was a storm God. Uh, Baal was a God who brought rain. And, And when people worship Baal, they believe that there's all sorts of different gods out there. Baal was the powerful one. Baal destroyed other gods, Baal killed other gods. Baal was powerful. They didn't believe that Baal they didn't believe that Baal loves us. he was compassionate. Baal is good. they believe Baal is powerful. and Baal brings the rain and that means we want rain. we, uh, we want rain, we need to worship Baal. And, uh, and, and the way you interacted with Baal was that you the, you, had, you had to manipulate Baal. you had to control Baal. And so, um, this is gonna, this will be kind of strange, but, okay, think, when, when the rain came to the land, it, it made crops grow, it made crops grow, right? All right, now, (laughs) focus, okay, (laughs) we're, okay, we can do it, okay, so, um, so when, uh, rain comes down, crops grow, so one of the ways, in the ancient Near East way of thinking, was that that uh, fertility, rain, and crops growing was connected to sexual fertility. And so people would actually go to temple prostitutes and offer sacrifices in order to get the rain gods to twist the rain god's arm to make it rain. Yeah, isn't that... That's odd, right? But the idea... It wasn't that Baal was going to do... It wasn't that Baal was going to care for us because Baal loved us, but we had to try... We have to... People have to try and manipulate, control, twist Baal's arm to get Baal to do what we want. Now... Knowing that, who feels like, oh yeah, I'd like to worship all. That sounds fantastic. I mean, it's a weird thing. It's, God, it's this God of violence. It's God of power manipulation. But this is, we need to imagine what it was like in ancient Israel. I mean, imagine imagine your family lived back there. And your family is dependent on your family plot of land producing food. And it hasn't rained for a long time. And mom and dad are skipping meals so the kids can eat and everybody is hungry. And your neighbors and your friends and the king and queen are all saying, Baal controls the rain. Baal is most powerful. Come and worship Baal. If we all worship Baal, he'll do what we want him too. We can manipulate Baal. If we worship him, he will send the rain and the food will grow and your family can eat. Wouldn't that be tempting? What would you do? What would I do? Alright, with that in mind, I want to now, this background of Naboth, Ahab, and Jezebel and the Baal that they worshipped, I want to read this account from 1 Kings Twenty-one. Follow along with me, if you will. Sometime later, there was an incident involving a vineyard belonging to Naboth the Jezreelite. The vineyard was in Jezreel, close to the palace of Ahab, king of Samaria. Ahab said to Naboth, Let me have your vineyard to use for a vegetable garden, since it is close to my palace. In exchange, I will give you a better vineyard, or if you prefer, I will pay you whatever it is worth. But Naboth replied, The Lord forbid that I should give you the inheritance of my ancestors. So Ahab went home sullen and angry because Naboth the Jezreelite had said, I will not give you the inheritance of my ancestors. And he lay on his bed sulking and refused to eat. Very mature. (laughs) His wife Jezebel came in and asked him, Why are you so sullen? Why won't you eat? And he answered her in a whiny voice. Because I said to Naboth the Jezreelite, sell me your vineyard, or if you prefer, I will give you another vineyard in its place. But he said, I will not give you my vineyard. And Jezebel, his wife, said, is this how you act as king over Israel? Get up and eat. Cheer up. I'll get you the vineyard of Naboth the Jezreelite. So she wrote letters in Ahab's name, placed a seal on them, and sent them to the elders and nobles who had lived in Naboth's city with him. In those letters she wrote, Proclaim a day of fasting and seat Naboth in a prominent place among the people, but seat two scoundrels opposite him and have them bring charges that he has cursed both God and the king. Then take him out and stone him to death. So the elders and nobles who lived in Naboth's city did as Jezebel directed in the letter she had written to them. They proclaimed a fast and seated Naboth in a prominent place among the people. Then two scoundrels came and sat opposite him and brought charges against Naboth before the people, saying, Naboth has cursed both God and the king. So they took him outside the city and stoned him to death. Then they sent word to Jezebel, Naboth has been killed, Naboth has been stoned to death. As soon as Jezebel heard that Naboth has been stoned to death, she said to Ahab, Get up and take possession of the vineyard of Naboth the Jezreelite that he refused to sell you. He is no longer alive, but dead. When Ahab heard that Naboth was dead, he got up and went down to take possession of Naboth's vineyard. Now, as a, It's a fascinating account that we are given. And I would encourage you, we didn't even get the chance to read the whole chapter 21. I encourage you this week to read the rest of chapter 21. It goes on. Uh, God sends one of his his spokespeople, one of the prophets, and confronts Elijah with the truth. Or Elijah confronts Ahab with the truth. And Ahab, in the end, at least has some sort of change of heart. Um, in response to the, uh, the, the God's spokesperson, the prophet. But today, what I want to focus on, is I want to focus on the way that in Naboth and in Ahab and Jezebel, we see, we see these two different paths, two different ways of being um, that are exemplified, that I think that flesh out this spiritual truth that we become like what we most love. And so first, the first path or the first way of being is we see that in Naboth's life. Naboth, what does he most love? What does he worship? The God who hears the cry of the oppressed. Naboth worships the God who created all things in order to bless them. Naboth worships the God who made every man and woman in his image and with dignity. Naboth worships the God who acted to rescue his people out of slavery in Egypt. This is the God Naboth worships. And what kind of man do we see that shaping Naboth into be? He's a man who's he's related rightly to the land in the way that God has instructed him. He's a man who's faithful to his ancestors and faithful to his descendants. He doesn't just act for himself. He knows how his decisions will affect the generations after him and he is loyal to them. And he's a man of courage. Now, I mean, think about Naboth. Here, Ahab is the most powerful person in the land. And Naboth says to him, No, I will not do what you want. I am loyal to my God. Naboth has become like what he most loves. And that doesn't mean... That doesn't mean that Naboth is protected from harm or that everything will go right for him or he can't be hurt. Scripture from front to back is honest about the fact that God gives freedom to men and women and that evil is at work in this world. But Scripture is also honest about the fact that there are fates worse than death. Naboth loyal to the God who made him who rescued him and he becomes like what he worships on the other hand we have Ahab and Jezebel and they have decided to worship their scent the center of their lives is this God Baal this false God this God Baal who is about power who is about might makes right who is about violence who is about manipulation and what have Ahab and Jezebel become like I mean in the account we see we see them uh they want, they want something that's not theirs that they don't even really need. I mean, Ahab and Jezebel, they're they're the most wealthy people in the kingdom, and they still want more. And then did you notice how they even conceive of their power, of their authority? Do you notice what Jezebel says? She says, Is this how the king acts? Is this how you act as king? Because in their mind, in her mind in particular, to have power and authority doesn't mean you use your power and authority on behalf of others. To be king, to have power, to have authority, in her mind means you use it for yourself. It doesn't matter who gets run over. Then they begin trafficking in lies, twisting the truth. And eventually it leads to murder and theft. Ahab and Jezebel worshipped Hevel, and became Hevel. And it is this deep truth that is repeated in every human life that we, you and I, become like what we most love. We become like what we most love. And this pushes on me the question It pushes on me, what is the central love of my life? I have no desire to live an unexamined life. I want to... There are certain questions that I I want to live out that I think we should live into and I believe one of the questions we need to continually live into is what is the central love of our life? How is it shaping us? What kind of men and women is it making us into? If you're here this morning... You very well. You you might be here, and you you might say you're not you're not here a Jesus follower. You you wouldn't call yourself a Christian. You're a you're a seeker. You're on a journey. You're you're a doubter. You're you're asking questions, and we're glad you you you're here. We're thankful you're here. This is a good place to be asking questions. But the same truth holds for every person, and I would encourage you to ask yourself, what is the central love of your life? What is shaping the kind of man or woman you're becoming? And for those of us who would say we're following Jesus, we want to, to follow this God who reveals Himself in Scripture, we too need to continually live into this question, what is the central love of your life? I need to be asking myself this question because I know there are seasons in my life where I've had perfect church attendance i been reading my Bible. But Scripture is honest. It is upfront about the fact that we can go through religious motions and it doesn't mean that's actually the center of our lives. Our highest love. And there have been seasons in my life where, where I've been more comfortable loving, worshiping a God of my imagination. A God that I've constructed. A God who likes the things I like and hates the things I like a God of convenience and scripture is very upfront about the fact that it is the untamable God of holy love who desires to reveal himself and who who we are made to worship with all our hearts so I find myself pressed and I hope together we press into the question what is honestly the center the central love of our lives What are we being shaped into? What kind of men and women are we being shaped into because we follow this? And as I've read this account, I've reflected on it, one of the things I've reflected on is how the God of reality, over and over again, is better than any God I could have ever come up with myself. The God of reality is better than I could ever imagine. I think even, you know, uh, the scriptures talk about how Jesus fulfills up. He fills up all the, the, the story that's taken place before him. And I, and I think about how Jesus fills up this story, how he completes this story. And I think about how here we have Naboth, this commoner, this one without power, who, who the, the powers that be conspire against and bring false witness against. And I think about how that is the, the, that is the story that Jesus stepped into and identified with. God did not stand aloof to those like Naboth. God stepped into human history as a Naboth, as a commoner. God stepped into human history as one who the political powers conspired against. God knows what it's like to have people tell public lies about him and to be executed for it. God doesn't stand at a distance. He identifies with Naboth. He comes down right in the midst of it. And not only that, but Ahab, this king... That was meant to protect the people and bring justice, and never. And Ahab, who failed at that, Jesus, as he, as he, after his resurrection, ascends and 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 is named as king over all reality. Jesus is the king that Ahab never was. Jesus is the king who uses his power on behalf of others. Jesus is the king who says he would rather suffer and die himself than see any. Permanent harm come to a single one of his followers. Jesus is the king who would give his life that his enemies might be forgiven and be reconciled to him. The God of reality is better than I could have ever come up with. and This is the God that every man and woman's heart is meant to center on. That we are meant to most love this is the God whose image we are meant to be shaped into. This is true for, for me. It's true for you. It's true for us as individuals. It's true for our friendships. It's true communally. In our families. This is who our families are meant to center around. It's true for our friendships. This is what our, circ- our, our friend groups are meant to center around. It's true for our, this body here. This is what it means to be the church to be a community together of men and women corporately gathered around this God. That we together as a church family would be shaped into this God's image. This is good news. May it be so. Let's pray. Father, Son, Spirit, uh, you are the God who speaks. And we are here trusting that when your word, your scriptures are opened up, when these stories are told and retold, that they aren't just a word, they aren't just a word that happened back then and there, but they become a living word, God, that you speak into our lives here and now. And we believe, God, when you speak, things happen. That you speak into our hearts. In ways that surprise us. And so Lord. We together. We open up our hearts. Our souls to you now. would ask for you to speak to us. Would you press us. With the question of what we most love. Would you help us. See ourselves as we truly are. Would you invite us. Back to yourself again. And help us See. How beautiful you truly are. In your name, amen.